Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. We are continuing this season's focus on health and wellness with a great conversation with a good friend of Ground Control Parenting. And so much has been happening recently with this guest that we just recorded a little bonus update, which you can hear at the very end of the episode. So please be sure to stay tuned. I am so happy to welcome one of my favorite interesting people, today's guest, back to Ground Control Parenting. She was my very first podcast guest, Tanya Lewis-Lee. Tanya is a director, producer, and writer whose work often explores the personal impact of social justice issues such as civil rights and criminal justice. She produced the film Monster, the story of a 17-year-old film student who finds himself enmeshed in the criminal justice system, and this film premiered at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival. Most recently, she has co-directed and co-produced Aftershock, a film that examines the U.S. maternal mortality crisis, which is premiering at the 2022 Sundance Film Festival. She is also an entrepreneur, an attorney, a novelist, and the author of several children's books. She and her husband, the Oscar-winning director Spike Lee, are mom and dad to Satchel, their 26-year-old daughter, and Jackson, their 24-year-old son. Welcome back to Ground Control Parenting, Tanya. Thank you for having me, Carol. It's so wonderful to be on this journey with you into this next progression. I am so glad to have you back. During our previous podcast conversation, you had such great insights and advice about raising confident children. And by the way, if our listeners have not had the chance to hear that one, they should find it and listen to it right after this one. But today, I've asked you to join us to talk about a topic you are very passionate and knowledgeable about and one I'm really focused on this season, which is wellness, parent wellness, mother's wellness, women's wellness. So let's get started. So the first thing I want to do is catch up since our first podcast conversation. We talked about the many ways that you work to help build Satchel and Jackson's confidence over the years, including helping them have pride in themselves, knowing their history, drawing upon the power of their ancestors. Great stuff. And I refer to it a lot. But now it's been a bit since then, and here we are still in this pandemic, has where we are now led you to shift your parenting in any way to support your children and continue to build their confidence? I mean, what are you seeing with them and their friends these days? <laughs> I only laugh because every evolution of, of one's child is a shift in perspective and how you parent. So whether it's the circumstances of our life, or just they're growing up and moving into different phases of their lives, parenting evolves, right? We've spent a lot of time together in, during the pandemic, which you know for us has been really kind of nice. It's been nice to be able to have the kids close by and to spend some time with them. But it's interesting in this time with the children where I feel that I kind of need to let them go a little bit more than I have in, in the past and say, okay, this is, I've got my life. I, I've, I've done, I've made the choices that I've made, good and bad, which, you know, implicate my life today, and they're going to have to do the same for them. And the best I can do at this point is mm -hmm. be there for them, cheering them on, you know, even if, if I don't mm -hmm. always agree. Mm. Yeah, you know, a lot has been said and written about how difficult parenting in this pandemic has been, and the focus has been on toddlers to high schoolers. And there's no doubt that that is really, really tough and presents a different set of challenges. But I have to say, parenting young adults and watching them struggle with launching and sort of 
this is the time when in their 20s, a lot of stuff is supposed to happen. You know, they're supposed to grow a lot. And it just seems like their growth's been stunted. I agree. And I have to say, it's funny, Carol, that you mentioned that because I haven't really had the opportunity to talk with a lot of parents about this, right? Sometimes we, we're in our silos and we mm-hmm. think we're the only ones going through similar things. And, you know, everyone sort of, you know, mm-hmm. puts up what looks great, but it has been hard. You know, it, it has been tough. I, I agree with you. In their 20s, they're supposed to be off and getting going. And, you know, every time where it feels like they're just about like some another thing happens and it and it's it's hard. It's hard. I think it's hard mm-hmm. for them socially. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when I was their age, where mm-hmm. what I was doing in my twenties to how I was out and about and they've just had to change how they do things, how they meet each other. So it's 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 a tough it's tough for them. Yeah, I think it is. And one of the reasons, because I'm always focused on how parents process these things, I think one of the reasons why it's tough for us <laughs> to parent them is that you know, if you have a five-year-old, you don't really remember what it's like to be five. You know what your five-year-old's supposed to be doing, even seven, 10, 12. I mean, you have vague recollections, but when your kids hit their 20s, I mean, that's like <laughs> yesterday or it feels like yesterday. It does. <laughs> and, so, and because of that, it's harder, I think, not to put yourself squarely in their shoes, which is not to your earlier oh. point. You're not supposed to do that now. You're supposed yeah. to let them go. They, they, and, and if they're literally physically in the house with you, it's harder not to think not only what I was doing when I was this age, but how I was feeling, what I would, you know, how I would react to something based on my memory of my 20s. So I think you're absolutely right that the challenge of trying to let go uh, when when physically it's they're harder right here. They're, they're not going exactly anywhere. exactly but it's good i mean you know we've learned how to have difficult conversations where we do not agree and have the conversation mm-hmm. respectfully and quietly mm-hmm. and with open hearts to hear one another like it's we've really had to learn how to do that and and it's i think made us all closer yeah, I, I would say that sounds like not. That's a great thing. Not only is it does it bond you, it also helps confidence in these young people. I mean, if they can, this is a really valuable skill that they're learning to be able to do what you just said. It's a skill that America right. really needs now: <laughs> the ability to disagree yes. <laughs> calmly and and yeah. and with an eye towards finding where you can see eye to eye and just respectfully disagreeing exactly. and then moving forward to something else. I believe, I mean, and, and it seems as if we're knocking on, as I knock on wood as I say this, but it seems as if we're certainly better off than we were last year this time. And let's just hope that we continue in this way and our kids actually yeah. do get to exactly. launch. <laughs> so now I just want to shift gears a little from our children's wellness to adult wellness, because we really need it too these days. This season, I want to focus more on health and wellness for parents and mothers and particularly Black mothers. So I want to start with your work in wellness generally and your focus on Black women's health. So the first thing I want to do is quote uh-oh, yourself uh-oh. to you. <laughs> I'm going to quote <laughs> No, no, it's, it's an amazing quote. I'm so excited. It's an amazing quote. I found this quote from an Ebony interview you gave in 2016 about Black women's health, and it is everything. Okay. So I'm going to okay. quote you. You say, people think of our health really in relation to poverty and lack of opportunities for things, but that's not the entire picture. I think we as Black women need to recognize that we are vulnerable. We need to think about how we can take care of ourselves and how we can also work to make our communities support our better lifestyle. 
I would say being supportive, being helpful, and not expecting mama to do it all. I do think that we as women need to be able to allow others to help us and delegate a little bit. We can't do it all, and we should not be expected to do it all. So, okay, that, Tanya, that quote- I like that sentiment. You know, I, from the last one. <laughs> no, no, it's good. And you know what? Five years, six years later, it's so, it's not only is it a great series of thoughts, it also, I think, is a really nice backdrop to all that you have been doing since 2016, because you talk about how to take better care of ourselves. And you're an entrepreneur and you've started a company that gives women the ability to take better care of themselves through Movita Organics, which is supplements. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to that, how your wellness journey took you to supplements and vitamins? Well, first of all, I think for me personally, I've had a health journey. I mean, I've been, thank God, a healthy person, but I was a little overweight as a kid, right? So my mother used to take me to the mm -hmm. doctor for weigh-ins once a week, and my doctor would talk to me about what I should eat. So by the time I was 13, I knew that I had to wash what I ate and exercise in order to be at least what my family was telling me was the presentable way to be because it, it, me growing up being a, an overweight kid was not, I mean, my grandmother used to give me a hard way to go. Right. But, but lucky for me, that did not turn into anything that was pathological. Like I just, you know, through the years I, I did go on and off every diet trying to figure things out. But overall, trying to be, you know, take care of myself. My actual professional mm -hmm. health journey, though, really began when the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, way back uh, in 2007, asked me to be a spokesperson for the infant mortality awareness raising campaign here in the United States called The Healthy Baby Begins With You. And that campaign took mm -hmm. me around this country and immersed me in a world of women's health, specifically focused on black women where I was learning mm -hmm. that when you talk about an infant's health, you're really talking about a woman's health. And was getting mm -hmm. a lot of information out there that was telling me black women were not doing so well, and white women not so well either, but black women certainly not doing well when it comes to health. We index higher in everything when it comes to blood pressure, uh, hypertension, diabetes, all the chronic diseases. And the narrative at the time mm -hmm. really was that we're just, we're just lazy, we don't take care of ourselves, and we eat bad food. And what I was looking at was that we would talk about these things and I would look at the images and I'm very, back then you didn't really see images of, and this is before social media, so you didn't really see images of mm -hmm. black women and healthy lifestyle activities, right? Mm -hmm. We would talk about the bad thing and then show that we don't look good, but we never, we didn't really show how we look now. It's amazing how, you know, all these years later, that has really changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really has changed. And yeah. so for me, it was just really getting immersed in that world of women's health, uh, going out there. I, I learned for myself, for our communities. And, and really what I came out of my time working on that campaign was that women are the foundation of our society. Black women are the foundation. Mm -hmm of our society. Mm -hmm. They they support mm -hmm. everything from the women who are working in the grocery stores, people who are packaging our food, who are driving our trucks, who are taking care of our children. And I, I'm just talking about that level of black women who are taking care mm -hmm. of us. Mm -hmm. And in order for them, as we learned in this pandemic, to be able to take care of us, they need to be well for themselves as well, right? I mean, it's like we, we need to be, and as women in general, to take care of our families 
if we're the bedrock of our families, mm-hmm. we have to be as healthy as we can be because we're the foundation from which everybody else comes. Like, I really believe this. If I'm healthy, the no, rest of absolutely. my family is going to be in a better situation. If I can, if I can, if I can do things mm-hmm. to make myself healthy. Otherwise, the whole, mm-hmm. you know, ship becomes weak. Absolutely. Just going to put in a quick um, comment about your time as the national spokesperson. Impressively, but not surprisingly, you managed to combine your two passions there because in the course of this ambassadorship or spokesperson journey, you did a film, you produced a film. (laughs) So there is a film which I've seen, it's called Crisis in the Crib, Saving Our Nation's Babies. And it, it is a really a great opportunity to see the kind of work that you were doing and the kind of audiences you were reaching and to see the people that you went to Memphis because that had a really high infant mortality rate. And just to understand the complicated nature of this kind of work, because you didn't go to speak to a bunch of women who were pregnant. You went to speak to high schoolers because in the course of the wellness journey, you wanted to make sure, well, you tell me. (laughs) Yeah. You want people to start thinking about being healthy for their unborn children down the line. You know, it's not like you want to start, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm pregnant. Now I got to get healthy. You, you want your body mm-hmm. to be healthy before that even happens so that all that is going on inside and for men and for women. So by the time that egg and that sperm get mm-hmm. together, the conditions are really right for that baby to thrive uh, right away. And that doesn't mean mm-hmm. you can't have a drink, you can't have a good time here and there, but it means that overall you look at life and you think about a way to approach it from a lifestyle of health and wellness as a foundation again for your family. If I start now when I'm young, by the time I get to having my children, which hopefully I plan down the line, and I hope, and I hope our, (laughs) it's interesting too, times have changed because people aren't having babies in the same way they were. So I'm hoping we're still planning to have our children and have our children and have them in really (laughs) healthy, wonderful ways. I understand that, as I saw in the film, the reason to go to this community and to talk to this group of people was to, as you said, sort of get them oriented in that direction. But I was thinking it's sort of it was a great thing, even for the 10th grade or 11th grade who had no clue as to whether they were going to have children or when. It was a good way in to get younger people to start thinking about spending more time focused on their health. Because frankly, we all know if you're talking to a teenager and you say, you should eat this or you should eat that, unless unless you're a grandmother trying to help them lose weight. I mean, nobody's well, going to listen. Look, <laughs> so, and look, there listen. are practical issues, right? I was in Flint, Michigan many years ago, and I was talking to a group of students who were telling me they eat hot Cheetos and drink Mountain Dew when they go to school. That was their breakfast. But the problem was that they didn't have access to other, any other mm-hmm. really good options. There was no grocery store around in the community. You know, there was no, there was no real place for them to access other options. And so I think it becomes incumbent upon us not only to talk about and talk to young people about eating well and, and doing well, but we too, as a community, have to provide the resources so they can actually do that, you know? And that, that too became something that uh, was really important to me to make sure that messaging got out there, that it's not just that they don't want to, Mm -hmm. it's that they need our communities to offer the support so they can get the access to it. Yeah, you know, it just, it it occurs to me as you say this, that parents now 
need to set a good example. There's a degree to which doing the right thing, if you can be convinced to do it for someone else, makes you more inclined to do it. <laughs> and just as you were talking to the young people about doing the right thing so that their babies would be healthy, if parents now would focus on their wellness, their health, so that their children will be able to follow their models. And so, I mean, you know, you're right. You only have access to what you have access to, but there are a lot more resources through the internet and the world to focus on how to make things healthy. There's fewer excuses now for Cheetos and Mountain Dew. It's a tough thing for parents because people, we love our food. You know, we love our food. And, And for many of us, Food is love. It comes from how we were raised. And there's nothing better than a big plate of something that is not necessarily healthy, but really yummy (laughs) to make everything feel better. And so it's really hard to focus on now in this day and age, even though we have more information at our fingertips, it's hard to eat healthy. I mean, how do you how do you suggest we look at it so we don't feel like we're depriving ourselves? Yeah, well, for me personally, I try to think about eating as feeding my body so that I can function and do the things that I want to be doing and feeling good. Where I am in my life now, there are certain things I just don't eat. And I don't feel like I'm depriving myself because I know if I eat French fries, they're going to stick to me. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to make my my cholesterol go up. And I really like keeping my numbers down. I'm really, uh, I'm really crazy like that. I look at my numbers and I want them to stay good. I don't feel like I'm depriving myself and I feel better. You know, there are times, you know, when yes, of course, as we all do, you know, you, you fall off. That's how it is for everybody. You know, you, you start off with a good idea, a good plan and you're doing good and life gets in the way and something happens and then you're back down the rabbit hole eating what you used to eat but then you just got to come back you got to come back to it and i think that's that's what it really is all about just keep trying every day you know and we can course correct in the day Mm -hmm. and we can course correct in Mm -hmm. the week we can course correct in the month i think that's exactly right and that's also a little bit the way parenting is it's like you know you have good intentions you mess it up somehow. You're like, you said in the last podcast about how parenting was a continuum. You know, you, you, you try to do the best you can, you back up, oh, yeah. you start again, you keep going and you, you hope that your children continue the continuum. <laughs> and similarly with eating, you know, right. and exercise and exercise. It's a, it's a combination. It's not just food. I mean, you gotta, you gotta yeah. move. And I, I think that's really important as, as parents, as we get older, and as you said, as setting the example for our children, you know, we've got to move our bodies. You know, I'm the person who wants to be 90 years old, still mm-hmm. working, you know, I mean, I watched West Side Story the other night and there's Rita Moreno, you know, mm-hmm. still working you know, uh, in her 80s, like much respected. Sidney Poitier, God bless him, you know, worked as long as he could. Cicely Tyson, another Mm -hmm. example, you know, and Cicely Tyson's an interesting one because I've heard stories about how she took care of herself back, back in the day, drinking green juices before green juices Mm -hmm. was the thing, you know. So I look at people like that. I look at Jane Fonda. She's another Mm -hmm. one. You know, they, it's possible if we just keep working on taking care of ourselves, eating the right things, feeding yourselves, not your soul. (laughs) Yeah, like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could take an occasional soul break, but you got to know it for what it is. Call it that and then, (laughs) but yeah. (laughs) Get back to the cells. (laughs) Yeah, no, I like that. 
exactly. And sleep. And I will say too, I think sleep is 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 not a game either in terms of the wellness thing. Yeah. And you know, I I think it's really important that we get the right amount of sleep. Uh, as I've gotten older, I go to bed earlier. I get up earlier mm-hmm. too. But you know. I don't mess around with my sleep. I don't cheat that because I think it does make a difference. Yeah. So I would I would echo that. I think I certainly struggle with sleep from time to time, as I'm sure we all do. But I think just keeping it as a goal. I guess the best thing about these days and our limited social engagements is there's much less to stay up for. That is the truth. So I will say like (laughs) pandemic life, like the routine that I was able to establish and keep and maintain and, you know, um, was was not bad uh, for me personally working. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the show. I began my thinking about this conversation with you about really marveling at the arc of how you started, as you say, back as being an ambassador and you focused on infant mortality, which was a subject that part of your, your job in the role of being the national spokesperson was to bring awareness of infant mortality. And now, years later, you're still in the same wellness and caring about bodies sphere, but your perspective has shifted a little to include the issue that you were most recently focused on, which is maternal mortality, which is alarming, as you have noted. So can you Talk a little bit about how your awareness of this grew and, and what you know about it. Well, it's interesting. One of the things I really like doing after being a part of the campaign is to talk to groups of women, getting with a group of women, talking about health and wellness, and again, throughout the country. And what I was hearing inevitably for the last, I don't know how many years, was not just about infant mortality, but I was hearing about maternal mortality. I would speak somewhere and inevitably a young woman would raise her hand and tell me about a friend, a sister, a cousin, an aunt who had died from childbirth complications. And I was hearing it over Mm -hmm. and over again and having conversations with some of my friends in the birth justice movement and, you know, began thinking about how can I really tell this story? And and the hard part about it was that Mm -hmm. I didn't want it to be just a survey film of talking head experts looking at cameras telling us this is a problem. I really wanted us to mm-hmm. be able to go on a journey with human beings who had been through the process to really humanize the experience of that loss, to humanize the experience mm-hmm. of looking to find the right birthing situation for oneself, and also to get the information out there as to why this is happening what can be done, what's being done, and how can we all collectively work to make the United States have the best birthing options in the world, as we should. I mean, it's, a, it's an abomination that the United States has the worst maternal mortality and morbidity outcomes of all industrialized nations. That is hmm. crazy. My take is that it's really based on a racist premise, but you know, I can, I can get into that more if you like, but then you can also see the film and see what I'm talking about. First of all, I do want to encourage everyone to see the film, and I'll, I'll talk to you about that in a minute. But I want to back up a minute. The statistics are sobering, really sobering. And I want to talk about some of the causes, but I also need you to break down a little bit about what alternatives there are. I mean, I had all of my children only with doctors. 
And I understand in the, the little bit of reading that I've been doing about this is that birthing alternatives are highly recommended to be considered in the course of trying to ensure a very comfortable and successful birth. But I know there are midwives and there are dual. I don't know. Can you break it down for us? Like who does what? I mean, absolutely. Happy to, happy to. Well, first of all, again, the United States is the only industrialized nation that does not have midwifery care integrated into the birthing healthcare system, right? So the United Mm -hmm. States has pushed midwives completely out of the picture. Midwives are clinicians. Midwives have been attending at births, catching babies since the beginning of time, before there was any such thing as an mm-hmm. OB-GYN. They were midwives. They, that's what they did. I mean, you know, in the in the early 20th century, as modern medicine comes in and we want to move everybody into hospitals, there's a campaign that is launched against midwives, calling them dirty, saying that, that they cause lots of deaths. Uh, and that campaign was really launched to push women into hospitals, into OB-GYN care so that we all have to go to hospitals and didn't have, don't have the options. The data shows that having integrated midwifery care, and when I say integrated midwifery care, what I mean by that is every woman should be able to have access to a midwife because midwives spend time with their patients. They talk you through the process. They tell you what's coming, what to expect, what your body's going to be doing, what what power you have as a woman, Mm -hmm. because women have been birthing again since the beginning of time. You don't need a doctor to come and tell you, Mm -hmm. push, push, honey. This is what we've been doing. Our bodies know how to do that. And with the right person at your side, you as a mother has the power to do that. And then there's the doula, right? And a doula is more like your advocate. She's not a clinician. She's there to make sure that you're comfortable, that who can speak for you, make sure you have what you need, uh, help tell the doctor. But she is not a clinician. She would not be catching the baby. She does not necessarily know. I mean, and in the United States, certified nurse midwives, because the United States now has certified nurse midwives. So most midwives in the United States, or many, are nurses. Uh, but that is not the way it is mm-hmm. around the rest of the world. You don't have to be a nurse to be a midwife. You have mm-hmm. to go through apprentice training, which is what there used to be. So so from my perspective, mm-hmm. having gone and made this film for the last two years, what I believe is the best care is integrated midwifery into the practice of maternal care so that women have that person who can take the time, who has the knowledge, the, the, the physiological knowledge, who can take the time with you, work with you, be there for you. Mm-hmm. If something happens, you have your doctor who's already on board, who can be there if there's a problem and you really need that doctor there. And you've got your doula who can be there and be the voice you know, for you when you're in your moment. Because as you say, every woman deserves a dignified, safe birthing space as she sees fit, and she needs to be the one who's really driving the process. It's not about being on the doctor's schedule. You gotta be on the woman's schedule. Mm. So it sounds like the, the dream team is, the, as you just said, the midwife, Priscilla, and the doctor. Because as... As one who has all had all of my children in a hospital, and that's all that I knew, and frankly, just didn't, yeah, didn't consider anything else. There was a degree of comfort in knowing that if anything went really wrong, <laughs> and that that there would be an immediate ability for experts to jump in and do something. And and the good news is that a lot of times things don't go wrong. Uh, but I do like this concept that you got a team of people who are able to help because. 
certainly a doctor has obstetrics in their toolbox of expertise. Well, the difference between a doctor and a midwife is a doctor is a surgeon. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. A midwife can do everything a doctor does. In fact, midwifery care uh, was a four-year apprenticeship. That's where doctors got their residency from. They got everything from the midwives. They, the, a, a doctor, all mm-hmm. the difference is surgery. And this is where our problem comes. Because often with women who, are, who die or nearly die from childbirth complications, it's often too much too soon or too little too late. Right. So it's over medicalization. Mm. Often we want to jump in there so quickly instead of allowing the natural process to happen. I mean, birthing is really mm-hmm. an amazing thing. It's the only time when a body part of yours disappears. The cervix disappears. There is no other time when your body has a body part that just goes away. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's, it's an amazing thing. And doctors often, they're, they're trained to do something. They want to jump in there and they'll tell, they'll say it. Like they're, they're trained to want to do something. We're not, we're not moving fast enough. We got to do something. A midwife is trained. Let me just, let's just let her, let her do what she's got to do. And often when you do that, you will have better outcomes because it is a natural process as opposed to quickly saying, oh, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. Now, if you're high risk, that's a different thing. But most women are not high risk. Mm-hmm. And so in the theory where you give birth with a midwife, you have seen a doctor up until the point that you give birth, or, you, or is that the thinking that you don't ever have to see a doctor? Well, in some cases, some women feel comfortable and confident going to their midwife and not necessarily having a doctor. And it depends on, Mm -hmm. and and look, if we had an integrated midwifery care in the United States, then yes, you would do that. That would be, that's what we would figure out and work out that like, yes, you'd have a, you'd stop in with your doctor and you see your midwife, but a proper kind of midwife can do everything a doctor can do except give you a Mm C-section. And a Mm -hmm. C-section is major surgery, major surgery. Which can cause lots of problems down the line, not just from, I mean, one woman in our film quotes it. She says, if I have a C-section, that's going to impact our success as a family for the next 12 months, because I'm going to be, I'm going to have to go through major surgery. I'm going to have to figure out how to heal from that, you know? And then if you get pregnant again, there Mm -hmm. are potential risks that come with that after having a C-section. So you really want to try, if possible, this is my opinion, to Mm -hmm. avoid a Mm C-section if you can. I, and I'm not saying mm-hmm. C-sections are bad, mm-hmm. but what we see is as the C-section right. rate goes up, so does the maternal mortality rate. But that, that's definitely mm-hmm. right. because, clear. I mean, that stands to reason if, that if you're having major surgery, the odds of something going wrong are going to be greater. It's really interesting and important to get this information out. But it's also, I, I think, I, I like, and you, you said this today, but I've also heard you say sort of the dream team for say when, when your daughter, if, and when your daughter size have a baby, they would be all three. I, I, what, what I, what I know a little bit about having done too little is that there does seem to be this sort of either or kind of schism, this, this perception that doctors are, I don't know if it's intentionally or, or unfeelingly become not helpful versus a midwife that's helpful, but is the goal to have everybody on the same team? 
I think so. I think, look, I think the problem is inherent in the way our hospital system has been set up in this country. And it's been set up in a way that does vilify midwives. And like I said, that sticks today. And, you know, doctors, I think, Mm -hmm. not all doctors, there are doctors that I know who love working with midwives, that love working with midwives. But I do think that there there is an inherent tension when the system is not set up to support all players, right? And and people still mm. believe that midwives are witches. <laughs> you know, I mean that 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 people still believe oh. that. And so it's a hard thing mm-hmm. to overcome. But yes, and look, we legislation is happening now where in the U.S. Congress, uh, the mom and the bus bills, where things are moving and evolving and and changing. Uh, and so hopefully we will get to a place where there are more options, but we need more midwives. We need more black midwives. They have been eradicated. And so we need to invest in an infrastructure that creates a space for us to really build that, that, that team of midwives to come into the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to emphasize that in terms of black midwives and black doctors, I mean, there are studies that have shown that in terms of maternity care and birthing, the rates are better when you have a black doctor or black, you have, you have someone and, and in, uh, who is helping you. A black woman with a black caretaker is going to have a better shot. And that makes all the sense in the world because fundamentally, you know, you're right. Giving birth is darn near amazing. miraculous in that it, it, amazing. Um, that it happens so regularly. <laughs> it's a really, it's mind blowing that this happens as much as it does. It's it's still a bit of a mystery because it is it is so things disappear <laughs> and you actually give you create another human being. It's the whole thing is so hard for many of us to wrap our minds around that the degree to which you have somebody that you trust who is talking to you about what you're going to experience is so and your process. Because- I would add, just sorry, not to interrupt you, but I would add who empowers you uh-huh. because a woman needs to be empowered yes. when she is giving birth not told, oh, you know, I got, you can't do this. I can do it. A woman needs to understand. Right. <laughs> you can do right, this. Right. Yeah, and, it, yeah. and, and I, and it, and it yeah. gives power to her once she's had that baby, you know, to know that that's what she can do as a mama, what that, what that strength that you have coming off of that. Yeah. And, and it just, because there's so little time given to the explanation of the whole thing. I mean, as a pregnant person, you're told how how to take care of yourself so that the baby is healthy, but not what happens to you and and not what happens to you afterwards. I mean, there is definitely a role for someone. And that's what a midwife does. That's exactly what a midwife Mm -hmm. does. She spends the time with you. She talks Mm -hmm. you through it. She explains the process. She's not rushing you out of there, you know. And to your point about the culturally congruent care, you know, we talk a lot about implicit bias, but I have to tell you in my journey and talking to so many people, the bias is not implicit. It's quite explicit out there. <laughs> people are very explicitly racist and rude and dismissive to people when they are pregnant, especially couples who are not married. I mean, the way they are treated and dismissed, which ends up killing women. It's not like it's a it's a slight. It's a thing that can actually... If you, if you disregard this woman's pain, if you disregard what she's saying because you think she's lazy, you could potentially kill this mm-hmm. woman because her symptoms are telling you something is wrong, you know? So mm-hmm. maybe, I, you know, but I, I, you know, again, those are individual people. There are some really great white doctors out there that I'm sure give wonderful care to black patients. Uh, but, 
but the studies do oh, show. Trying to um, get advice about health is is fraught because you're scared. <laughs> so it it's hard to trust is difficult because there are things, particularly if you're going to be responsible for another human being that's growing in you, it's like, it's a miraculous thing. It also is a very scary thing. And so it makes all the sense in the world to me that you need as many people who are there to try to make you feel, I mean, on the one hand, it's scary. You feel alone. On the other hand, there are so many people walking around that the process it does. works. I mean, it, it, it Whether it, you it, get it Pitocin so, or not, chances are that baby's coming at one point <laughs> or time or another, you know? Right. And um, yeah. Right. right. I think it's really good that you are bringing attention to this, not only to the to the, the horrific circumstance of people, mothers dying in maternity, but uh, dying while giving birth, but the rethinking of the process. I mean, certainly including who helps you deliver the baby, but the rethinking of one's own empowerment in the process. I mean, that to me is a great takeaway for people who are either are thinking about having a baby or already have one and want to have another one. I mean, it's a pretty powerful thing. And as you said, once you have done it, and if you have done it successfully and you feel good about it, it is it is incredibly empowering and to the extent to which there are ways that we can use to help women feel better about exactly. the whole process as opposed to exactly and it should you should uh, and, not and, be going into your pregnancy into your into your birthing situation and it's funny i use the word birth i don't use delivery because i had a, we have a midwife who explains to us where that comes from deliver it's 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 no one's delivering that's a doc you're delivering to a doctor that's a doctor's term you know it's like it's like you're birthing you're not what are you delivering you're not delivering you're birthing i love her for that because it's totally changed how i speak about these issues but the fact is we live in yeah, a capitalist yeah. society and this is about money also let's not let's not forget that piece. I mean, going into hospitals, the high rates of C-sections, how people are, how hospitals are reimbursed for that versus a vaginal birth. All of, a lot of that comes down to dollars and cents too. So, you know, we, as a, mm. as a society and with the amazing people in my film are doing is really pounding the pavement, beating the drumbeat of, we need to change our birthing systems in the United States, it can be better. There are other models out there that show it that have better outcomes than we mm -hmm. do if we really care mm -hmm. about protecting women when they give birth. So Tanya, just final question on this. What do you hope will come out of the film? Like what, what, what would be your vision, your hope that people feel and do when they see this film? Well, first of all, I hope they feel something. I hope they leave this film feeling fired up and figuring out how they can figure out how to make it better. Because I can't, I can't fix it myself. You know, we all have to think about these issues. Think about how can it be better? How can we make birthing better in the United States? And then let's go do that. You know, we need all hands on deck. It's, mm -hmm. It is legislation, mm -hmm. but it's also public-private partnerships. It's, it's activists, mm -hmm. it's, it's business individuals. I, I am a believer and it, it's so interesting to me. Uh, I'm a believer in birthing centers. I do think they are created and built properly and with the right kinds of thought into them, they can be a wonderful option for women. I think women, for some women, 
I think birthing at home is a wonderful option for some women. And I think that we've got to be able to have the conversation. It's so funny because you say birthing at home and often people are like, oh my God, no one wants to birth at home. That's the most dangerous thing you can possibly do. But for the right person, it really isn't. So I think, you know, and for the woman who needs to go to the hospital and for whatever reason needs to have a C-section, she's got to be able to do that too. So I think we need to be able to have a real conversation without trying to scare women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about what the options can be and then create them and put them out there so that we can have better birthing outcomes for women. And then I think we have a better society Absolutely. too when, you know, children are coming mm-hmm. out, you know, from women who are terrified mm-hmm. as they're birthing. Absolutely. Well, Thank good you. luck with this film. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Once it leaves the festival, it will hopefully have, it will land somewhere so exactly. people will be able Stay to see tuned. it. And so I will... Yes, I, yes, we will all stay tuned and I will definitely let my listeners know. So, Tanya, I'm going to wrap it up here, but I want to say thank you so much as usual. A great conversation. I'm sure the parents listening really appreciated learning so much from you in this conversation. So, one more thing right before you go. Now, last time you played the GCP oh. bonus round, but I've upped the ante. Now it's the GCP oh. lightning oh. round. <laughs> And so it's a few more questions and it's very quick. So the first two questions you will, you had before, but I'll ask you again, and then the answers might've changed your favorite poem or saying, and your favorite two children's books. And you can say one of yours, but you have to say one okay. of someone else's. Uh, okay. <laughs> favorite children's books, uh, please, baby, please. And a snowy day. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, good. And oh gosh, favorite poem or saying? Oh, that's a hard one. I wasn't prepared for that. Uh, you know, you know, the, the you know what comes to mind off of this conversation um, is Langston Hughes, "Let America Be America." I, you know, it's like live up to the promise. You know, mm-hmm. in that, like, like right. and given this conversation to me, I think we need to. I love that poem for just the, you know rawness of like let's let's live up to the promise that this country is supposed to be even from those of us who know that it wasn't made for us we are still determined to make it live up to what it can be and Mm -hmm. you know that's that's what i feel right now yeah that's great that's really great okay well thank you so much tanya i'm so happy to have you back again i'm I'm so honored i'm so honored (laughs) and so happy for you and ground control parenting i think it's such an amazing tool and i hope people really use it because it's it's awesome to have these conversations we all need a little support and guidance from everybody yeah absolutely so thank you so much thank you hello and welcome to the ground control parenting update we've got tanya lewis lee who is, uh, who it's been a minute since we've talked with you. Hi, Tanya. Hi, Carol. <laughs> I just wanted to circle back to you because so much has happened since we taped our great episode. And most significantly, Aftershock is out. It's amazing. It is streaming. Why don't you tell us where everyone can find it and see it? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Aftershock, the documentary, is currently streaming on Hulu. Yes, it's on Hulu. I have seen it. It is truly amazing. And and even more amazing has been the national reaction to it, because not only have people raved about it, they've really come to admire the two men in the movie that, that the movie centers around, Omar, Omari Maynard and Bruce McIntyre, the two fathers in the movie. Can you tell me, I've seen that you have been doing some things with them after the movie. Can you tell me what's up with them? 
Sure. Uh, Amari and Bruce have been really active, as has Shawnee Gibson, who is also the mother of Shamani, who we feature in the film. You know, and we've had the opportunity to travel the country a little bit and have lots of panel conversations. Out of that, Bruce has been able to work with the community doulas and uh, midwife assistants that were in the film. They've brought a womb bus to uh, the Bronx, which is essentially a tricked out sort of mini bus that provides health care for the Bronx community. So they travel around the community to provide prenatal care for people who otherwise can't get it. Uh, and they are currently working really on bringing this uh, birthing center to the Bronx. There has been legislation that Bruce has been able to work on that now allows for midwife facing birthing centers in New York. They still have a ways to go to actually get to where they want to, but they are moving in the right direction. Amari continues to paint. Actually, uh, you know, other families, unfortunately, and actually Bruce and Amari went to the White House, uh, had a meeting on paternal mental health. And I have to say that this is one of the things that I had not Paula and I could not have imagined would have come out of the film, a conversation around paternal mental health happening in the White House, uh, talking about an initiative to help fathers who are traumatized through various aspects of uh, pregnancy. In fact, this one story I'll just tell you quickly, they were saying uh, in this meeting, a man mentioned that he had witnessed his wife's C-section and she survived and was fine, but he was traumatized by the C-section. Mm. And it wasn't until that meeting that he ever expressed to anyone how he felt about it. So mm -hmm. uh, that's been really exciting to see. And the other thing I'll say is that we've been, uh, we've heard from many hospitals around the country, insurance companies, med schools who really want to use the film as a tool to open up the conversation about how we create better birthing outcomes from these systems. Tanya, that is amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. I am so impressed with what has happened with your film. I know you've been working on this for a long time. And how amazing is it that this, this piece of art that you sort of have, have toiled over, labored over, the, the art that you birthed, if you'll forgive that, into the world, has just had such a great impact. And, and it's only beginning. So It is, and it feels really good. But I got to tell you, at the same time, I got very sad news this morning uh, that another beautiful young woman who was pregnant uh, passed away from childbirth complications last night. And so mm. while I am really excited by how the film has been able to inform people about what's going on, it's still happening. And so, absolutely, you know, I just... The work continues, the need for the work continues. And it's just, it's, a, it's while, while the sad statistics, unfortunately, continue, it's great that there's now new opportunities to change those statistics, thanks to you. So <laughs> thanks to you and, and your team and your movie. So thank you. Congrats. And I want everyone out there to make sure you watch this amazing documentary on Hulu, Aftershock. You'll find it on Hulu. Thanks, Tanya. Keep doing the great work. Thanks so much, Carol. Appreciate it. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. For more parenting info and advice, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at groundcontrolparenting.com. 
You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. The Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis podcast is a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartMedia. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.